Man, we gotta start using Apple Cash. Okay, why? It's so easy and convenient. Apple Cash lives in messages. All right. So I can pay you in the convos we're already having. Not forget a payment or have money sitting somewhere just collecting dust. Oh, that is nice. And then you can use that cash right away and buy stuff like at a store with Apple Pay. I don't have to do all that bank transfer stuff. Nope. It's just right there. Easy, convenient, and secure. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? See how easy that was? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Kim Crawford invites you to savor amazing with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. Named in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list four times. Every sip of Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc is filled with tropical fruit flavors like passion fruit and citrus to help you experience golden hour how you see fit. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more and find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefo Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to today's episode, which is, uh, again, featured by me and my moment in life. Okay. And so, therefore, I'm going to reflect with y'all because I've had some thoughts in my head. Yeah. And uh, if you've been around, you know that I've been uh, needing to do something. I think I was like, I need some big change. Well, I've actually been looking at purchasing a home recently, and not just because I'm having a midlife crisis or a crisis at all, but actually for living reasons because, you know, rent is bad, it's Atlanta, everything is skyrocketing, and we're trying to make life choices that are smart. Yeah. <laughs> but damn, capitalism sucks. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed it Just does. saying. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and y'all, it's a whole endeavor. Uh, I'm sure many of you have already passed this threshold of trying to buy a house. I feel like it's called adulting. I'm not good at it. I think I tweeted recently about the fact that I actually had an anxiety attack after having a real conversation with a professional mm-hmm. about purchasing a home. Mm-hmm. Still thinking about it. Uh, makes my heart flutter a bit. Mm. And there's so much to do. And to be honest, part of the, this is like, what if you know, scenarios, like trying to create the best case scenario for myself, not going in too much debt, not going overboard, finding something that I love, all of these things. And one of the things I've been trying to plot, Annie, I know you're very well aware, Mm -hmm. is trying to have all my ladies in an area with me. Because that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. In college, I had this, and I don't know if you did. Of course, we had roommates, but we had a little section where all of our little friends were close to each other. It wasn't just ladies, but just like we were all close to each other and there was something to it. And I loved being able to like rely on each other. If we needed company, it was there. If not, we could go our separate ways, you know, all of that. And again, 
you know, I'm like, what would it look like if we try to make a community of our own? Yes, I may or may not have been sending Annie houses to look at and say, would you live in this with me? (laughs) It's definitely, you did do that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That you did. (laughs) So I do have a partner that we will be moving in together officially. But I was like, Annie, if we got a basement apartment, (laughs) would you come and hang with us? And I've seriously been sending her pictures of like, look, this could be your place. It's true. (laughs) It's true. And I'm like, how much Star Wars decor can I get away with? Um. I said, all of it. It's your spot. It's your spot. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, like, it's been a thing that we've talked about a lot. Caroline from Unladylike and previously from Stuff Mama Never Told You. And I have been talking about it for a while. We're like, man, it would just be nice to be close to each other, but separate from each other, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and especially during the quarantine when we were self-locked down because Elena wasn't doing that necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, you know, it would be nice to be able to like just sit across porches and yell at each other. Yeah. Just, yeah, have a porch. <laughs> right. Again, so this made us start wondering, could it be possible to create our own communities? And, and we know there are some, and we're going to talk more about it. But before we start, Annie, if you could create your own community, what would it look like? I, so as you said, we've talked about this a lot before. We've talked about it on the podcast and several listeners have written in and said that this idea really resonated with them, that they've thought about it too. And they gave um, like excellent reasons why some like societal and pressure reasons and some just fun reasons. So I have thought about this for a while and I have a pretty good vision in my head, but it's like... You know in movies when they have that like flashback scene where you're remembering the better days and the light is kind of soft, the focus is soft yes. and bright. So like I have this general vision, but it's not, I have it honed in on all the details. But <laughs> some key things I know, I want a garden. I want like a functioning, beautiful garden um, that we all contribute to in one way or the other because I think you can help out in various ways. As you said, I want together but separate. I want everyone to have their own spaces. And even maybe their own kitchens are either a huge-ass kitchen. (laughs) Right, right. Huge. Because I feel like a lot of tensions that happen in living situations is based around the kitchen. So I want a big kitchen. I want it to be somewhere that has a lot of like greenery and maybe trails around. We can walk. I want to be able to see stars at night, like a lot of stars. If the water is close by, that'd be nice, whether it's a river or any body of water, that'd be really nice. I would like nice weather. Um, I I like seasons, but like maybe not too strong of seasons because, you know, the garden. Um, (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And I want a like theater area where we can do like movies or plays or whatever. I thought about having like a planetarium situation, but I think if the stars are good enough, then the planetarium's overkill. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously some kind of like Star Wars area for me. Maybe that's in my own space. Um, mm-hmm. But that has to exist somewhere. And then there would have to be like a division of labor that we can agree upon. All those like logistics that I really didn't get into in this like soft focus, beautiful, idealized version. But there would have to be like some type of leadership thing and uh, a place to air grievances. <laughs> I like it. I don't want the it to fall apart. This is really good. Yeah, yeah. You've got you've to gotta address those things or else like the seeds of, of annoyance will sow and then the whole thing falls apart. Um, also, people are free to come and go as they want. I want it to be a very like 
peaceful experience. <laughs> right. And right. you know what? That's, you're not far off because a lot of those conversations have happened uh, in that same thing. And the whole like being in the open and seeing stars, that's actually a part of the requirements that happened in the past. Uh, and we're going to talk a little more about it. But I, I know you and I have talked about this and about how we were going to be neighboring communes because mm-hmm. we were a little bit different yeah. in what we wanted. I think we would share a garden. I think they definitely would need to share a garden. Mm-hmm. I do think of our my space would have to be individual kitchens because, yeah, a lot of contingent happens about dirty dishes, yep. who does what chores, and everybody can do it themselves. Mm-hmm. As long as it's like reasonable, as in like you're not bringing infestation, yeah. then it shouldn't be a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. So my head, my <laughs> commune, yeah, it's not just all women necessarily, but understand that it's probably going to be women run, mm-hmm. which actually exists today too. And we'll talk about that a little later. Um, yeah, I, I really like the idea. Honestly, it's more about, you know, not necessarily commune, but the community, meaning we live there, but we go and do our own thing. Yeah. We can sustain there, but we're also able to go buy Doritos if we want it. Yep. Um, there's no shame in bringing that in. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, I will need my uh, TV so I can keep watching all of my episodes <laughs> on repeat yeah, Wi-Fi. for my trauma. Um, <laughs> Wi-Fi important, mm-hmm. yes. And also, we would have therapists on hand. That Ooh. was definitely another part to that is that you need to do therapy, whether it's once a month check-in, how are things going, mm-hmm. or once a week, let's get down to it. Like That's my other big part to that. If you want family, wonderful, we'll have that worked out. I feel like we should create our own schools because Mm. I don't love what's happening in public schools, especially in the South right now, Mm -hmm. with also giving livable wages for teachers and therapists. So just saying. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Maybe bring in my own doctor team, too, like my own little healthcare team. Yeah. (laughs) So that everybody gets access to healthcare that is communal as well. Yeah. It's funny because we briefly discussed this beforehand, very, very briefly. And Samantha was telling me all about her ideas. And I was like, where's the funding coming from? And she's like, don't don't ask questions. <laughs> don't worry about this. We got this. <laughs> You're right. Like I said, mine is also a soft focus, beautiful, idealized vision. I haven't hammered <laughs> out the details. <laughs> I mean, it may end up being like, yes, like as if we are in a socialist country, mm-hmm. we would have... Not taxes, but we would fund freely. Like, mm-hmm. okay, half of this. But knowing that this takes care of all of that, including education and da-da-da-da, mm-hmm. being a community. Right. Right, right, right. But that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> but yeah, so we do have all these ideas, but mm-hmm. not necessarily true. But <laughs> we also want to talk about and look at some of the past communities and some that are still here today and talk about uh, what they looked like and why it was important for that time and just talking about whether or not can they be successful because they are kind of dying out. So um, a big chunk of them actually started in the 70s or late 60s, thanks to second wave feminism, which, as we know, didn't look great in the 1990s. And so a lot of went down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe we should go ahead uh, and put a content warning. It's not, we're not getting into any deep uh, specifics about people, uh, domestic violence or abuse or anything, but we are going to talk about them a little bit. We all are going to mention TERFs because obviously when we talk about all women, there's a lot of conversations to be had about it um, as well. So if any of these things are like, eh, it's too controversial right now, I don't want to deal with it. I understand. Move on. Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs>
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories. No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. So before we start, let's talk about a little bit of history. So in 1860, there actually was a U.S. community started here. It started by Martha McWhorter, who was a Bible study leader um, who happened to be a confidant for many unhappy married women who had no options. Uh, So during this time, of course, we know 1860s, even now, actually, in a lot of religious communities, it is frowned upon for women to leave their husbands, no matter how abusive, no matter how bad it was. And she would often be a confidant at these Bible studies, which she led for women, who would tell her about all of the bad things, a lot of the about alcoholism and their husbands being abusive, berating, or neglectful in general. And she would actually advise them and started off with like, well, cut them off. So she had these ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today we'd be like, this is weaponizing some things. But she had, did what she had to do, literally teaching women what they had to do. They couldn't leave because at that point in time, especially in the community that she lived in, in Texas, they would not allow for divorce unless women proved that if they were to remain, they would die. And obviously, it was hard to do that because they would die. Right. And even with that case, they would still make them go back to their husbands after a while, by after chastising the husband. Or they would say, yeah, you can get divorced, but you can never marry again. You are there to support uh, your, your family, community, no matter what. You can't be married again. You have to sustain isolated, which was a lot, which was pretty difficult, saying that women could not earn money. They really, if they did not have family to support them, 
they were in trouble. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to say, okay, do these things, trying to discipline the man to teach them a lesson. It did not work out too well. So eventually she was like, you know what? Come on over. So she started the Sanctified Sisters, also known as the Sanctificationists, in their household, and then had women move into the household with them while she cared for them, which later transitioned into having another building that they opened up, uh, and it was the first shelter to help women seeking refuge in 1875. And by the way, there's a lot of stories about the fact that her and her husband were pretty happy, but towards the end, he started getting a lot of backlash and was not too happy and kind of bemoaned the situation, but she still did her thing. He finally died and she took over the fortune and was able to establish herself. So she said, whatever, I'm going to keep doing this. Love it. Love it. Um, And they were delivering services for battered women uh, and later organized the Women's Commonwealth of Belton in Texas. And by the way, the town of Belton, not huge fans. They blamed her for the divorces and separations that happened, uh, really talked about how she was enabling these women to turn away from their husbands and sinning. But her legendary uh, work remained, and even after her death, it continued with the last member of the Commonwealth died in 1983. So over 100 years Mm. later. So go ahead. Oh, (laughs) And um, as we said earlier, the 60s and 70s were prime years for a lot of these communities, and they were often referred to as, quote, going back to the land. So kind of your idea um, Mm -hmm. as the communities were self-sustaining communities that would be placed back into the woods away from, quote, society so people couldn't see them or even notice it existed. Uh, They were able to have their own gardens and have their own livelihoods without people interfering. And uh, by the way, also the Commonwealth, the women's Commonwealth was so beloved um, that it kept going. And as in fact, some of our homes now, some of the some of the communities reflect similar to what she had created. And she became uh, like a huge part of the community, as in she was, I believe, uh, in office as some of like big government local government things. So she was involved. And because she was actually a really smart businesswoman, uh, they really respected the fact that she could maintain. Mm. hmm That's interesting. I think this idea of like going back to the land for... Because it's almost like you're trying to get away from the toxic things in society. You're kind of like checking out from that aspect of it. So I find that interesting. So the historycollection.com says about these communities, quote, these were called women's lands, and that's women spelled W-O-M-Y-N-S. Well, apostrophe S. You know what I mean. <laughs> and many of them still exist today. They accept women of all races and religions. Some of these communes were specifically made to house lesbians. Other communities were meant to help women travelers who were brave enough to venture cross country alone and needed places to stay where they felt safe. Considering how many women are still attacked and killed when traveling alone and staying in cheap motels, this kind of program would still be useful to this day. Many of these places are filled with small cabins and shacks, almost like a campsite, and all the citizens have to do their part to help keep the community going. I'm sure there's past episodes about the women spelling W-O-M-Y-N specifically, but during these times, they really were adamant that they did not want men as a part of their word, so M-E-N, and say they put the Y instead to show their own autonomy and not as part of the misogynistic, patriarchal idea of existing under man. So, 
just that. So one of the biggest pluses for these communities is for the women who did not have children or other family members to help care for them as they grew older. And I think about this often, Amy, as someone who was childless. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be alone, which is what my mother's fear was for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. But communities like this allowed for women to grow together with others and not having to be alone. As in fact, the original members of the Women's Commonwealth were able to retire together, moving from Texas to D.C. because they wanted to grow that community and wanted to do in the capital. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the 90s, another group, Older Women's Co-Housing, had a similar idea where women living together, learning together, helping each other financially and emotionally. Of course, in the 90s, they were like, we don't want to be seen as feminist and hippies. So they tried to remove themselves from that conversation, even though their ideas were very feminist. Yeah. (laughs) Just to go ahead and put that there. But yeah, this is something I think about too. I was like, getting older has been easier because I have a collective of friends who don't have children themselves um, and are able to be a little more uh, accessible for me as a single person Mm -hmm. when I'm saying, hey, let's go get a drink or let's go hang out here. Uh, Because, you know, children are work. We get that. And children are beautiful and amazing. And I hope that never comes across that we are anti-children in any way. But we know that it's a lot of work and we know this has to be a buildup. And we know that oftentimes in a family, heteronormative family, women had carry the brunt and burden of the load by choice and sometimes not by choice. So that's mm-hmm. something that we do talk about. But there's also that hopefully if you have a good relationship with these children, they will take care of you when you get to the point that you need someone to care for you, which by the way is horrifying as I'm aging. I'm like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's scary. Mm-hmm. But for uh, those who have not had children, that's something we don't have. So if we don't have family, who takes care of you? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the appeals of the commune idea for me is like, I can be single, but there are people around. Yes. To help that care about me. And if I fall down, they can come and get me. <laughs> right. At least someone's going to come check up on me, which is a Sex yes. in the City episode. Oh, wow. It all comes back to Sex in the City. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Yes. Sure, we'll get to it, and uh, I'll have more thoughts then. Yes. So we did (laughs) want to talk more about some of the communities uh, that exist today, but I don't know if you actually knew this. I did not know this. Arkansas has a chunk of uh, women intentional communities, or sometimes I call them women communes. Uh, I guess communes have a whole different connotation sometimes. That's a whole different conversation again. But uh, Arkansas has a chunk of it, and it has a lot to do with apparently in the 1960s and 1970s, some lands were really, 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 really cheap and easy to purchase. So a lot of these lands were purchased that way. Now, a lot of these other communities, and the ones we talk about in Arkansas, seem to have something to do with Native and Indigenous communities and them taking back some of the land. So that's kind of a beautiful thought, too. But we did want to take a moment to talk about them. Yes. So we have some quotes about these communities um, from Arkansas. 
starting with the specific values that bring women together to form land communities vary from one community to the next. The overarching commonalities include the importance of distinguishing women's communities from patriarchal institutions by valuing women's contributions, encouraging women's empowerment, and relying on consensus-based decision-making processes and non-hierarchical organization. Another common thread has been to provide space for women to take on non-conforming gender and leadership roles. Environmental sustainability and preservation also are common goals, often grounded in a synthesis of radical and eco-feminist philosophies, emphasizing that women should have an opportunity to, quote, live together in harmony with the earth, with respect toward and growing with her and one another. Right. And I, I found that what they were saying. So this all comes from one site um, who talked about their history, and I loved it. So we wanted to talk about why they're doing it, what it looked like, and then talking about exist, like specific communities. Right. Right. And there were several in Arkansas, yes, including one intentional community still there today, the Santuario Arco Iris. Santuario. The Santuario Arco Iris, and from the Encyclopedia of Arkansas.com, here's a bit about this community. Santuario Arco Iris, an intentional land community located in Ponca, Newton County, near the Buffalo National River in northwestern Arkansas, was founded by Maria Cristina de Colores Morales, also known by her ceremonial names Sunhawk and Aguila, originally as a sanctuary or sacred land space for all women and children, particularly women and children of color. Morales, who identifies as a so-called two-spirit woman of Mexico and indigenous American descent, has lived on the wilderness preserve since 1976 when she moved there with her five-year-old daughter, Jennifer. Her partner from 1982 to 2011, Miguel Borges, was also instrumental in the development of Santuario Arco Iris and its associated nonprofit organization, the Arco Iris Earth Care Project, or the AIECP. Morales prefers the pan-Indian term two-spirit to the term lesbian to describe a third or non-binary gender identification and sexual orientation that derives from Native American ceremonial roles and culture. Yeah, I would love to dig more into her because uh, she sounds amazing anyway. But yeah, keep going. Okay. <laughs> I will. <clears throat> Drawing eclectically from various spiritual and ideological traditions, Arco Iris weaves eco-feminist, indigenous American, and non-Western concepts of sustainable environment and community, social justice, and natural healing into its mission. As Morole stated, Centuario Arco Iris has served as a rural shelter for women and children of color to regain our self-respect and self-determination and heal from our personal and ancestral wounds. We learned from nature how to be healthy women and good parents and community members. Recovering our indigenous culture spiritual ways and remembering our matriarchal ceremonies to protect ourselves, our children, and above all, Mother Earth. We started from scratch on rural wilderness land with no elders or community, no money, no road, no homes, no infrastructure. We were poor working class women, survivors of every type of abuse and neglect, and we made our way back home to our roots and our mother. And then it goes on. <laughs> Never intended as a strictly lesbian separatist settlement, Arco Iris now welcomes in its community both women and men with serious commitment to its ideals of healing, social justice, and sustainability. Morales and Borges reared both a daughter and a son on the land, and a male cousin currently resides at Arco Iris with Morales. Nevertheless, Arco Iris remains rooted in philosophy and programming and what has come to be known as the Lesbian Land Movement, also called the Land Dyke Movement, as well as in broader social and cultural movements for indigenous people's rights, anti-racism, alternative healing, and ecology. Right. So this is, 
apparently the entirety of this community kind of came through splinters of older communities. It's fascinating to me. I'm not really sure, again, like it talks about who they bring in, um, what they're doing, but it's obviously very specific and very focused. And I love that. I love that idea of preservation um, for their community, indigenous peoples and people of colors. So like it's, it's a beautiful idea. And I'm glad that they still exist. I do wonder how much it has dwindled. Like I said, it has splintered throughout the years from the 70s, but a few do exist. And speaking of which, I did not know that there was one in Alabama. Did you? No, I did not. I have seen, this is not really related, (laughs) but I will mention, (laughs) there's this place in Alabama near uh, my grandparents' old beach house called Bama Hinge, which is Stonehenge, but it's like made of styrofoam (laughs) and cardboard. And the first time I stumbled across it, I was like, What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening here? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So according to the site, because it exists, quote, Alpine is home to a diverse group of women, W-M-Y-N, who celebrate many spiritual paths, pursue a variety of outdoor activities, and enjoy vegetarian and gluten-free to omnivorous diets. Residents are full-time, part-time, or seasonal. Uh, There are some non-resident lot owners. Dogs and cats are welcome with some restrictions. Uh, We currently range in ages from 50s to 80s, but welcome women of all ages. And by the way, because we talked about this earlier and I thought it's important, high-speed internet allows some members to work from home. Many are retired. We are within an hour of several large cities. So the whole, like, it's still updated. So they exist. You can look at their site, uh, alapine.org. It's A-L-A-P-I-N-E dot org. And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. I don't know. Apparently they have rooms for rents in the village too. Wow. We may have to check this place out, by the way. This is right there in <laughs> Do Alabama. Do some more research. Yeah, yeah right there in Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. And they were featured in one of the articles that talk about uh, women-led organizations or women-led villages around the world and what they say of this community. In 100 acres of rural northeastern Alabama land since Alpine, an all-female community born out of the 1970s lesbian separatist movement and that continues to survive in Bible Belt America. Alpine only numbers a dozen or so members these days, but what the women have created here is not unique. And I am surprised. Maybe it's because we don't know about it. We haven't looked into it. There are apparently around 100 lesbian communities uh, like Alpine around uh, North America. Again, it's called Women's Land. I think we've talked about that previously. And it is co-ops for women farm, and the women are the ones who tend it, as well as lead it. So it is an interesting thing to see. Again, Annie, I think you and I may need to go check this spot out. And yeah, there are several around the country that we talked about. I know there are several, I think in Australia, um, that still exist. There's a lot. I know we haven't mm-hmm. dug into it, but it is still kind of what we talked about, how it's died out. It may have everything to do with the intersectional feminism that has existed today. Um, one of the big conversations that happened in the fragmenting of several of these places are uh, the exclusions of trans women. And we've seen that in festivals. We've talked about this before. I know there's one home named after Susan B. Anthony. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different conversation in itself, which do, did not allow for trans communities to be a part of this area. And then that kind of grew into trans communities building their own uh, communities, which I love the idea, which is a lot more welcoming and loving. 
there's a whole con- other conversation about what, what about non-binary? Who? How do we include them? What does that look like? And how do we make sure that that we are uh, providing a safe space for everyone, um, including the non-binary, but at the same time trying to word it correctly, I guess, for each area. And I know that was a big part of conversations. Again, after second wave feminism, we know there was a lot of backlash. And so this this is part of the reason why they say these communities may be dying out. Um, again, lesbian only, where they did ban all men, which I don't hate. I don't hate it. <laughs> was controversial for a little while. Again, that turf talk walked into this as well when we uh, looked at how inclusive some of these communities were or were not. Mm-hmm. There's always, there was a lot of politics, unfortunately, in an area yeah. that didn't want a lot of politics. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories. No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because golden hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Just to put in here, I think for a lot of people, when you hear the word commune, which we've been using community a lot, but when you think of like the word commune, you associate, if you're like me, you associate with cult, or that at least there is the danger of that happening. And I happen to know two men who have talked to me about wanting to join a cult. <laughs> See, I did it. I did, did it. it. I wanted to join a commune. Um, and I, my immediate, clearly, reaction was, 
are you sure that's not a cult? Right. Um, which I, as we've said, I love this idea. But there is, I think, a part of it is like propaganda or media we've seen. I've watched a million horror movies. It is sort of like living outside of the patriarchal system. Right. So I think there's been a lot of that like paintbrush over it. And I guess it's been it's been very successful. And that's not to say there isn't a danger, because if you have like a, a very when they say cult of personality, like somebody who can be very persuasive and lead these things and I don't know, because we also talked about that when we did Women in Cults, where we had, it's a very fine line between what you're demonizing as a cult versus what is just living outside of the societal norms you're used to, especially like Western Christian patriarchal societal norms for us in specific. But I think that's an interesting part of this too, is that um, you know these politics, as you say, have come into them to what we want to be these like, you know, beautiful, <laughs> kind of free, you can finally be yourself and be free and we can live in harmony spaces. But there's also that kind of like outside, like, what's going on here? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And you know, with all of that, there's this level of conversation. Yes, they were not only seen as communes, but because it was women ran, they were also seen mm-hmm. as hippies which yeah, um, for the longest time had a negative connotation to it. And it still mm-hmm. does. It still does. Like people use that as jokes. Oh, you are you a hippie now? Are you a hippie now? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Are you like patchouli? All these things, really ridiculous assumptions with being a hippie. And some of these organizations have fallen out of favor because of those labels and titles, as well as the fact that for some reason, I think maybe the last three years has changed this, but for a while they're like, ah, we don't need feminism as much. That whole mm. level of like, we're good now. Women have rights. What are you talking about? Which right. is kind of like, yeah, no, mm-hmm. no. Um, and maybe it's according to what part of social media you're on, what part of uh, the movies or what part of, you know, gaming industry you're in. But you realize very quickly, no, it's not gone. And this is why people are asking for a safe space, a place to be able to uh, grow with each other. And and on top of that, I think a lot of, again, we've talked about this uh, before as as an introductory to you and I about mentorship. We don't Mm -hmm. have a lot of women that we look up to today because we have grown up in a different era than our parents, than our aunts who... Again, my mother wanted to be a mother at 14. She was ready. Like, that was her mm-hmm. goal. Like, not goal, but that was her happiness. And she she loves being a mother. She loves being the wife. She loves having her family. That defined her. That was never me. And trying mm-hmm. to figure out who do I look up to? Who do I talk to? Who do I seek? Uh, and again, also being a person of color, all different things. I'm like, I don't want to look up to white women. I'm sorry white women. Mm-hmm. Y'all are amazing. But you know what I mean? Like there's this level right. of like, they don't understand the hardships and I need to know how to navigate my life. And for the most part, like my friends, books, and and people that I, I have trusted, whether it's teachers or uh, people that I've read through, they have been those people. But that was kind of the attraction of some of these communes slash communities was to have mentorship level. As in fact, one such place was called the Huntington Open Women's Land, which is in Vermont. And as in fact, they were featured in two articles as they were kind of uh, 
I don't know, dying out, but had less and less people. I think these both of these articles came in 2019. Maybe there was a plug that happened for them trying to create uh, an open environment. But their, their intention was to bring younger women into this land and to mentor, to shape young women um, and to prepare them for the world that is so centered around misogynistic ideals. And we kind of lost that. And I'm kind of sad about that. Uh, I really wish, because I will say there's something to being able to be with a group of women and to bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's something kind of, you know, liberating, especially if it's a group of women that is in your like same kind of mindsets and you don't, you feel like you don't have to put up these appearances or um, performances. And also... I, just the other day, I saw an article, and every now and then there's something I'm like, we're still talking about this? But it was about, um, why are we so afraid of single women? And I think that's another reason why we're kind of like, or at least mainstream media is like, why are all these women <laughs> living by themselves? Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> They're living in communities of just women, it's wrong. So there's like that air of, you know, like homophobia, but also just fear around women kind of opting out of of society, which we've talked about a lot. But I do think, yeah, that is... When I think about my ideal commune, it is like full of my friends and full of like the support uh, and just sort of being able to be yourself totally. <laughs> right, right. And not feel like you have to act in a certain way that is not yourself. Right. Um, as in fact, part of reading all of these older generation of women who did these, they talked about that. This was about self-preservation. Uh, the reason the lesbian uh, communes slash lesbian communities were so big was because they found a safe space to love mm-hmm. who they can love. And I hate that that's where we're going back to. And we may need them again because we see all these anti-LGBTQ plus policies that's going in place and no one's stopping them. But a part of the reasons that these communities happen was for the safety of those mm-hmm. in the queer community, as well as the safety for those who have been assaulted and have gone through some things. When I said previously in a different episode, not all men, but all men, that's what we're talking about, not necessarily with the lesbian community, but the whole safety aspect is we can't be mistaken that you're not going to be one of those men. And I mm-hmm. say you and the general men in general, that just because you may not be the one that does something to a woman or to someone doesn't mean that it's not going to happen and doesn't mean another man won't do it. So it's just safer for women to assume all men are going to do it until you mm-hmm. are in our trust. Mm-hmm. And even then, yeah. people break our trust. Mm-hmm. And that's kind yeah. of that whole level. Now, not that abuse doesn't happen within the lesbian community. We know it does. We know abuse happens in the queer community. We know that it's not talked about enough, and we need to be able to give safe spaces to that as well. But mm-hmm. what we're looking at is why these uh, female-centric communities were so important and are still kind of important and why we need to learn from them and why we need to look at them still as a possible option. That's just my opinion. I know. I know. That's my opinion. (laughs) But I did want to also give some examples of other communities, women-led communities, so not necessarily like all women, 
We haven't just mm-hmm. been talking about all women only communities, but that they have been successful and why they exist. So this actually came from wonderingourworld.com. And I really don't know how old this article is, y'all. I kind of try to look for it. I think it's fairly newer. So I'm hoping that they still exist because that would make me happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, I did want to give some examples of uh, some women-led or all-women communities that are thriving around the world, one of them being Umoja Village, uh, where not only are the women in charge, but they're the only inhabitants. Literally, men are forbidden. So from the site, it says, uh, Umoja, situated in the grasslands of northern Kenya, was set up by 15 women in 1990 as a refuge after suffering horrendous sexual violence at the hands of British soldiers, finding themselves homeless after being forced out of their homes by husbands who did not want a wife who had been raped. These brave women set up their own village where violence and men were banned. And then later they started taking in children uh, and children with HIV. So abandoned children were allowed in um, three decades on and the community members are around 250 women and children. Uh, They've continued to take in women fleeing female genital mutilation, as well as those seeking safety after suffering assault and rape. Uh, The women, all members of the Samburu, so sorry, people now live in a completely different life from those who live around them. They make community decisions together, have jobs and earn income and live without fear of male violence or of FGM. So love that. I'm like, I want to go to there. And then we have Nueva do Cordero, and I'm so sorry if I just butchered all that. An almost all-female Brazilian town founded in the 1890s, uh, which continues to grow from strength to strength and now has a population of 600. Uh, So apparently it started off because a Brazilian woman named Maria Senorina de Lima uh, set up this town after... um, She was accused of adultery after leaving a forced marriage and was excommunicated. She wanted to do all this in order to create a haven for women where men could not control them. So that town is in the southeast of Brazil, which continues to exist today, populated by hundreds of women who work the land and work for each other. The community believes their town is more organized and peaceful than if men were in charge. I probably agree. Some of the residents are married, but their husbands almost all work in the large cities far from the village, so only manage to return on the weekends. Oh my God, I might have to go to here. (laughs) And it is pretty much run by the women only. And men are allowed to live in the town as long as they abide by the female-led rule book. I'm going to have to go to theirs. (laughs) I'm going to have to go. Um, Mm. And then just one more, uh, because I love all of these. Uh, We wanted to talk about the women of Genoir. As it says in the site, out of the ruins of the Syrian war, a group of women who suffered at the hands of the ISIS brutality have created an all-female village and refuge called Genoir. Based in the north of Kurdish-controlled Syria called Rojava, the village was founded in 2017, and the women saw it as an opportunity to create their own self-sustainable community. Uh, Living off the land, the women of Genoir believe they must separate themselves from the male-dominated violence in the country and equality between men and women in Syria. And they did this in hopes that they could live the full to their life, the potential of their life. And they have some few documentaries and seemingly are doing well. And I love to see it. Of course, this is obviously a very new, five years old at most. And yeah, I would love to hear more about how 
they have been able to sustain and continue in a war-ravaged area. I know we've talked about the Syrian refugees before, and I would like to see what is happening, but we're very limited. But we want to celebrate the fact that they were able to do so and taking control of their lives because it's amazing. And we need so many more examples of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely been the theme throughout. And I think even when we heard from you listeners, because I I know we mentioned it in, I believe, um, our Feminist Movie Friday on Thelma and Louise. Yeah. And we talked about that, of kind of them living outside of society. And, you know, that's kind of a whole, it's different, but related idea of there are these problems, there are these injustices that are written into our laws and our, our just society in general um, as marginalized people and as women as we've been talking about in here and why it it appeals to people to live outside of that, why this is an appealing idea for a lot of us, I think, is that. And we've seen that kind of thread throughout in all of these examples. And of course, as you said, as we said throughout, there are problems too. Like there's still, none of us are completely immune from this, like the biases we've been raised with But it is very interesting to me to see these examples and to hear these like commonalities and why they exist, which also speaks to like a lot of issues we need to fix (laughs) in society at large. But uh, yeah, that's right. That is interesting. And like we said, we don't know exactly what all is happening in the world today, but if it continues, Yes, Minty, I think we need to, we need to do a, I think we need to create our own uh, community. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know what we need? Listeners, write in. <laughs> what, what do we need? What is integral in the Sminty community? Uh, <laughs> we yep. need to know what's your ideal, ideal commune slash community. Um, and if there's something we missed that we should talk about, please let us know. You can email us at stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff Home Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. You are absolutely a part of this community, so you need to tell us what you need. Yes, Christina. Get back to us on that. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Stuff Home Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Kim Crawford invites you to savor amazing with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. Named in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list four times, every sip of Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc is filled with tropical fruit flavors like passion fruit and citrus to help you experience golden hour how you see fit. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more and find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865.
Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.